Well, good morning, friends. It's good to be with you on this 4th of July weekend. Hey, it's summer, and I think we can all say that this is a summer like one we have never experienced before. And it will continue to be that way as we live into this strange new reality that's taken us off the map during this season. You know, one of the things that I really enjoy about summer is that we get to go out and do some summer activities. And at the top of my list for summer activities is golf. I like to golf. I golf usually a few times per summer. I've started to golf a little bit more than that the last couple of years. Um, just enough to show how bad a golfer I really am. I'm really not a good golfer at all. Now, I've been golfing since I was like 17 years old, but when you only golf a couple of times a summer, it's not like your game really improves. So a few years ago when I was down in Sioux City, Iowa, I met a friend, a guy who wound up becoming my best friend. His name's Matt Nelson. And it just so happens that Matt is a golf pro. Matt teaches golf lessons. He got all of his PGA licensure. And, uh, and so Matt knows a lot about golf. Now, I got to golf with Matt quite a bit for free, and that's not the reason that Matt was my friend. <laughs> but we did enjoy that together. And the first few times that I was out with Matt, I would often ask, hey, Matt, you know, feel free to like, tell me if there's some things that I could do to kind of improve my game. And, and he'd kind of smile, and he'd, he'd maybe point out one or two things. And, and I'd get done, and I'd be like, hey, you know, Matt, is there, is there more you can show me about my game? And he said, well, here's the thing, Darren. Um, there's some things I can show you and could teach you about golfing, but there's some bad habits that you've picked up over the years. You see, we have to rework your entire swing if we're going to help you to really take golf to another level and take it more seriously, and that's a lot of work. And it really is. He showed me a few ways to change my grip, to try and change the flow of my swing, my backswing, where my hips were, all these things, and it was hard because I had drilled into my head ways that I thought was the way to golf. I had some bad habits that needed to be broken, and I'm still working on those. There's a lot of them that I need to break when it comes to my golf game, but that's okay. I've got Matt, I've got a good coach who can show me every once in a while how to help improve my game. Well, friends, we are in a summer of learning. We're learning some new things. We're learning some new habits, as a matter of fact. Some habits that will help us as we take this journey off the map. It's been a journey into unforeseen lands over the course of these last few months. And it's a journey that actually began much longer ago than that, though. God has been work bringing us into a new place as a church and as God's people all around the world during this season of COVID. So we're learning some new things, and we've been learning some new habits on this journey over the course of these last few weeks. Let me just quickly review where we've been so that you can hear about these habits. We started off by talking about what it means to bless people, to bless three people every week, one who is in your church, one who is not somebody who goes to church with you, and then a third that's kind of your wild card, could be either or. It's a great thing to be able to learn how to bless people, how to just find ways to care for them, to encourage them, to maybe give them a simple gift, some way of expressing love that shows the love and kindness of God to people. That was our first lesson, to bless people. Then the next week we talked about eating. I love to eat. Summer's a good time to eat too. Yeah. Amen. That's right. But eating also involves something that we can do related to Jesus. You see, Jesus loved to eat with people, and it was just about the food. It was about the fellowship. It was about meeting together and sharing lives together one to another. And so we encouraged you to start eating with folks. Now, we know during this COVID time, that's hard to do. It's 
typically difficult to socially distance between people, but there's wonderful places you can eat outdoors. There's picnic places. There's parks. You can bring along a chair and just separate some space from one another, bring along lunch, and share some fellowship and some encouragement over a meal. The same rule applied to do it for one person who you know from the church and then find somebody who you know who is not a part of the church. And that could be a challenge for any of us, especially in this season. But it's a good habit for us to develop. And then last week, Pastor Angie talked to us about what it means to listen to God, putting ourselves in a posture to be able to quiet ourselves, as she said, to de-squirrel our minds. I love that phrase. To de-squirrel our minds so that we can put our heart before the Lord and just listen to what he wants to say to us, listening to the Holy Spirit. It's a wonderful practice. And it's not quite the same as the first two that have a lot to do with doing things. Doing things is wonderful. It's good to do things with and for Jesus. But that comes from a place of being with Jesus as he speaks to you through the Holy Spirit. So putting yourself in that place to listen to the Holy Spirit, what a gift. And preparing yourself to do that every week, to set aside time to just listen to the Spirit. What a good thing to do. That brings us to today, our fourth habit in our habit from this little book called Surprise the World by Michael Frost, The Five Habits of Highly Missional People. We've come to number four, and that is to learn Christ. To learn Christ. Now, as you hear me say that, you might think, well, boy, that sounds kind of weird coming out of your mouth, Pastor. I mean, don't you mean to learn about Christ? Well, It's good to learn about Christ, for sure. We've been doing those things our whole lives. I'm I'm hopeful that you've been learning about Christ while you were growing up in Sunday school or in confirmation or every week finding ways to learn some things about Christ. But that's not the same as learning Christ. So what does that mean? Well, let me give you an example. My middle son, Ethan, is a student at the University of Minnesota, and he's studying mathematics, which means that he's studying things that I really don't want to know about. Uh, but he loves this stuff, loves pouring himself into that major. He's passionate about it, but he also needs to take some other classes to kind of round things out. And so he took a class a couple of semesters ago called the History of Rock and Roll. The History of Rock and Roll, fun class, right? He dove into that class. He enjoyed it. He was learning about all different kinds of genres of rock and roll music. He got to study some particular songs and the way that they were put together. And he wrote some papers about each one of these songs, culminating in a final paper where he was able to pick what song he wanted to do and and share about it. He learned a lot about rock and roll. What he didn't learn was how to play rock and roll. He didn't learn how to play rock and roll. Don't ask Ethan to pick up a bass guitar or a lead guitar or play drums. That's not what Ethan does, and that's not what this class was for. This class was to learn the history of, to learn about rock and roll. Now, was that valuable? Sure, it was valuable, but it's not the same as learning rock and roll. Now, for Ethan, he's got another side of his personality, too, which is he knows how to play trombone. He's been playing trombone since he was a child. In fourth and fifth grade, we put a trombone in his hands, and and he started to play trombone. And he has been learning trombone ever since. For years, he has been learning trombone. He's learned how to play jazz. He's learned how to play in show choirs. He's learned how to play classical music. He loves to play the trombone. He has learned trombone. He's not just learned about it. Now, of course, in the course of learning trombone, you learn some things about the trombone. But he has learned to play. 
He's learned to be passionate in the way he makes music through it. And today at the University of Minnesota, he plays in the marching band, something he really looks forward to and is, of course, really hoping he gets to do one more time this fall. But as he plays, he is learning more all the time. And it becomes even a part of who he is and a part of those who are around him. As a matter of fact, the whole section of trombones likes to hang out together, and they just call each other the Bones. So Ethan will come home and tell us every once in a while, hey, i got to go out and hang out with the Bones tonight. It's become that much a part of his identity and the identity of those around him. That's learning trombone and not just learning about the trombone. So there's a difference between learning Christ and learning about Christ. Now, as I mentioned before, it's good to learn about Christ. There's nothing wrong with studying Scripture, reading about things, and, and growing in knowledge and, and intellect in understanding things about Christ. Those are good things. But it's more than just head knowledge. We don't just come to Jesus with our heads hoping to gain some more information, to add more of Jesus to our lives. Learning Christ is about learning to immerse yourself in the rhythms and melodies of Jesus and to be directed by the Holy Spirit. Diving in like it's music, something you're passionate about. To spend time with Christ learning who he is, not just about him, but learning from him, learning with him, and allowing him to teach you. That's what it means. It's not just memorizing scripture or adding information, though those are good things. Those people who follow Jesus that way are called disciples. And we have a great example from the disciples of what it means to learn Christ. And I want to focus on one particular disciple today. His name is Peter. Peter shows up an awful lot in the scriptures. There's a lot that we can learn about Peter throughout the gospels and even in the letters that he wrote. Peter was a close disciple of Jesus, one of his first disciples, one of his closest friends, the one that Jesus called the rock on which he would build his church. Peter was close. He was on the inside. And as we read through the Gospel of Mark, we come to Mark chapter 8, where we learn this part of the story of Peter with Jesus. And this is what it says in Mark chapter 8, beginning at verse 27. Jesus and his disciples went on to the villages around Caesarea Philippi. On the way, he asked them, who do people say I am? They replied, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and still others, one of the prophets. But who do you say I am, Jesus asked. Peter answered, you are the Messiah. Jesus warned them not to tell anyone about him. Peter gets it. Peter, the first of the disciples, who has walked along with Jesus. He has been learning from Jesus, walking with Jesus, and finding out who Jesus really is. As a matter of fact, the first eight chapters of the Gospel of Mark are really about asking that question, who is Jesus? Who is Jesus? And as you read through the stories in those first eight chapters, you will see again and again a revelation of who Jesus is that lines up with what the prophets said in the Old Testament he would always be. He is the Messiah. 
And Peter is the one who gets it. Peter looks, he has been walking with Jesus. He has been learning from him, learning him, being together with him. And he declares as the first of all of them, you are the Messiah. You are the long-awaited king. You are Lord. You are the one that we have been hoping for, that all of our faith and trust has been placed in. It's you, Jesus. You are the Messiah. Hallelujah. Amazing powerful word from Peter. And oh, how quickly things change. Because right after that, this happens in verse 31. He then began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders, the chief priests, and the teachers of the law, and that he must be killed and after three days rise again. He spoke plainly about this, and Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. But when Jesus turned and looked at his disciple, he rebuked Peter. Get behind me, Satan, he said. You do not have in mind the concerns of God, but merely human concerns. How is this possible? How could Peter go from being the one who has learned Christ literally to the point of knowing that Jesus is the Christ, declaring it in front of all of those who were around him, being the first of the disciples to make this decisive statement, Jesus, it's you, you are the Christ, to rebuking Jesus for the words that he has said and having Jesus return and rebuke him. Get behind me, Satan. You do not have in mind the things of God, but the things of man. The reality for Peter is a reality that is there for all of us, and that's this. As we learn Christ, we must also unlearn ourselves. Peter needed to unlearn Peter. Not just the knowledge that he had about what was supposed to happen, but the ambitions that he had himself personally to walk alongside the Messiah as the conquering ruler, the one who would come to free God's people, reestablish the kingdom of David, put Rome out of their lands, and restore the greatness of Israel. That's what Peter thought. And Peter had some unlearning to do. But Jesus didn't cast him aside. Jesus didn't give up on Peter. He just knew that it was going to require Peter getting off the map of what he had expected to happen. The journey that he was on was a journey, and it wasn't at its end. This passage of Mark occurs right in the middle of the book, 16 chapters in the Gospel of Mark. And as I said before, those first eight chapters are asking that question, who is Jesus? It's the same question that Peter was asking over and over again as he observed, as he listened, as he saw Jesus perform miracles, as he saw the scriptures being fulfilled every day as he walked alongside Jesus. And the answer came that Jesus is the Messiah, but the last half of the book of Mark says, what kind of Messiah is he? Just what has Jesus come to do? And that's a whole nother place of learning and unlearning. And it would require Peter, like it did of all the disciples and like it does of you and I, 
to realize that we need to unlearn some things. We, we pray before the Lord, Lord, more of you and less of me. Now, does that mean that there's something that God rejects about us or that God really wants us to disappear altogether? No, of course not. Because to embrace the life of Jesus, to learn Christ, is to learn who you are really meant to be. It's to learn the life that you are meant to live. It's to embrace the Holy Spirit that is meant to guide you and empower you in your life. That's what it means to learn Christ. But we must unlearn ourselves. If we want Jesus to be Lord, to be King, to be the one who is over us, we have to get over ourselves. If we want Jesus to be over us, we have to get over ourselves. There's a laying down, a submitting of ourselves. But we come before the Lord and say, Lord, I don't understand. There are habits and things that I've created in my life that need to be broken, and I can't break them myself. But I can break them through the power of your Holy Spirit. You can break them in me, because that's what Jesus did. Jesus broke the power of sin over you and over me. We declared that today. That power has been shattered. We don't have to live in bondage to sin anymore. Instead, we can live serving Jesus through the Holy Spirit. We are free, but we don't use that freedom as a license. Instead, we use that freedom to serve our neighbors. That's the power of following Jesus, of learning Christ, and of unlearning ourselves. So how do we do this? Well, let me introduce you to some quick rhythms, melodies, and directions that we can use in helping us learn Christ. First of all, we need to marinate in the Gospels. <laughs> you know what marinating is, where you take that piece of meat and you just wrap it up inside of that particular marinade and it just sits over it and it soaks into it and it penetrates right into the meat. That's what we need to happen to us. We need to marinate ourselves in the Gospels. Now, some would say, well, Pastor, isn't the entire Bible good? Absolutely it is. As a matter of fact, Jesus is pointed to throughout the entire scriptures. Why wouldn't he be? Jesus is a part of the Godhead, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. It's the inspiration of God that wrote the scriptures to begin with, from cover to cover, all of it. We call it the canon of scripture, that which has authority. All 66 books, Old and New Testament of the Bible, they're all good. They're all meant to teach us and instruct us. But Luther believed, and I think this is quite correct, that within the canon, there is a canon. A canon within the canon. And it's the words of Jesus himself. Jesus is the point of all scripture, so where Jesus speaks, it has the highest authority. All scripture has authority to teach us. But there is a priority within the gospels. There's a priority in the teaching of Jesus because Jesus is the Word. We have the Word before us, and Jesus is the living Word who teaches us the Word and empowers us through the Holy Spirit to learn and understand. So we need to marinate ourselves in the Gospels to see the way Jesus lived, to see the things that he did, to walk alongside him, to listen to the stories, to take those stories to heart so that as we live our lives, our lives start to line up with Jesus' life. Not for our sake, 
but for the sake of the world around us. And yes, we receive a blessing in that as well, a transformation that happens in our lives because of the work of the Holy Spirit. Is it work that we do to prove something to God? Not at all. But does God work in us and through us to his glory for his purposes? Absolutely. And he works his word into us too by listening, by reading, by studying the text, by letting the text come alive. Because friends, when we read scripture in that way, scripture reads us. Scripture starts to read us. Things about us are revealed as we see Christ being revealed in the text. We say, oh my goodness, that's you, Jesus. That's you at work, and that doesn't look anything like me in my life. So what do I do? I bow my knee at that point, and I say, Jesus, help me to unlearn whatever is in the way. Help me to unlearn the habits that I have acquired over my life so that your life can flow more into me and through me. That's letting Scripture read us. Scripture is alive. It's alive, the living Word of God, to speak to us and to transform us. So we marinate ourselves right in the Gospels, but then we also listen to others. We have brothers and sisters in Christ. We have those who have gone before us, in some cases many centuries before us, who've written of their journey with Jesus. It's good to go and read these stories, hear what some of these wise men and women have had to share about who Jesus is to them, the way that they have learned Christ. If you're looking for some books that you'd like to see on that list, please send me an email. I'd be happy to turn you to some great classics as well as some new books that have been written to help us enrich our understanding of who Jesus is and come to know him, because it's still good to know about him too. As we learn Christ, we learn about him, of course, at the same time. We can hear his words spoken to us through music. We can let music impart itself into our hearts and our lives. We can watch videos and films. There are wonderful films that have been put together over many years about Jesus, some of them that are word for word right from the scriptures, like the Gospel according to Matthew. There are other Jesus pictures that we can view and listen to and and watch. As a matter of fact, there's a new one that's come out just recently that I've been watching. It's called The Chosen. Now, The Chosen isn't word-for-word scripture at all. But what we see in this story are the stories of Jesus coming alive. They're dramatized. They're fictionalized. But at the heart, you can see who Jesus is. You see something about the disciples, perhaps the way they were. I found it very enriching myself to be watching through this series because since it's not done exactly according to Scripture line by line, there are some surprises. And there's some places within that story as you watch it that you'll feel yourself longing for Jesus to show up. That's what I felt as I watched these videos. So there's many ways that we can encounter Jesus and that we can learn Christ. So marinate in the Gospels, listen to others, watch video and films, and then surrender to the Holy Spirit's direction. Let the Holy Spirit teach you and reveal things to you. And that brings me to the step that I'd like you to take this week. Here's my challenge for you this week, okay? I want you to sit down in one sitting and read through the Gospel of Mark from beginning to end. 
Now, if you're a regular reader and you're just reading right from one place to the other, you should be able to finish the Gospel of Mark in about 90 minutes. It's not a real long read. It's the shortest of the Gospels. But it is rich in what it holds. So rich. And watch and see what is happening as Christ is being revealed in the Scriptures to you. So sit, read all the way through it from beginning to end, and then go back and take a little bit longer working your way through it. And as you work your way through, Mark, ask these questions. What am I learning about you, Jesus? How am I learning you? And from that, what do I need to unlearn? Where are the places in my life that I need to unlearn some things, Lord, to lay down some habits, to lay down some thought patterns that do not honor you? Help me, Lord. Listen to Jesus as you learn of him through the gospel of Mark. That's my challenge to you this week. Let's listen. Let's learn. Let's unlearn. And let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you. We thank you for who you are. We thank you for what you have done in our lives and what you continue to do in our lives. And we thank you for revealing to us your son, Jesus Christ, in the scriptures and in our hearts through the Holy Spirit. And Lord, as your word says in Mark chapter 1, verse 15, the kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe the good news. Lord, we await your kingdom, and we need eyes to see it and ears to hear it. Because, Lord, it's not natural to us. We have our own inclinations. We have our own habits. We have our own blockages in our lives. So, Lord, help us to repent. Help us to unlearn those things that we have learned that draw us away from you. Those thought patterns that go directly against what you have shown us is truth. And help us, Lord, in that repenting to turn back to you, back to the good news. The good news embodied Jesus in you, that there is forgiveness of sin, there is hope for the future. There is life eternal. There is a new life that can begin today. And if that new life needs to come to you today, receive it as Jesus speaks to you today. As you open his words in the days ahead, I pray that you would hear Jesus speak to you. Speak to us, Lord, through your gospel. Transform hearts, transform lives, and draw many to you, Jesus. You do the work, Lord, as we do the unlearning and lay our lives before you. Work whatever you have to do in us so that you can do whatever you want to do through us. We love you, and we pray these things, Jesus, in your name. Amen.